You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with the sermon this morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We'll read there about the event of Pentecost, the event of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. We'll read the verses 1 through 21, and then we'll skip over to verses 40 through 47. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, they being the disciples. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own tongue, his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it will turn to verse 40. We'll read the verses uh, till the end of the chapter. With many other words, he warned them, that is, the Apostle Peter, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then we'll turn to our text, which is from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, 
verses 18 through 21. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to God, to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the past number of weeks when we've been dealing with this letter of Paul to the Ephesians, we've been using the metaphor that the church is something like an apartment building, that is, being houses, we all individually, houses where God lives by His Spirit, all living together in one big house where God lives by His Spirit. God dwells among us by His Spirit, both individually and communally. And we've seen several things about this apartment building, if you want to call it that. It's ruled by Jesus Christ. He's the one in charge around here. Also, this building is operations headquarters for the ongoing battle by our Lord Jesus Christ over the forces of evil, the forces that he has dominion over, Satan and his demons, and the powers of darkness in this world. Now, this apartment building of the church, however, also exists for the benefit of the world. In a sense, this is what Pentecost is all about. God has placed us here, has brought us together to be a blessing for the world, to be a blessing for all the nations, tribes, tongues, and languages, people thereof. To shine out our light and to call others to repentance and faith and to call them and come and join us. To join us within where where the true God, the triune God is worshipped by the power of the Spirit. Where the work of Jesus Christ is received and, and rejoiced in and experienced in our lives. All this is, of course, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit poured out on Pentecost which runs into the church like high-voltage wires into an apartment building. You see, God has life in Himself. And Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And the Holy Spirit delivers that life from God and all the other blessings of heaven where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God and He channels them right into the church. Receive all those benefits. Receive all that power from above. Cut off from that life source, of course, the building would cease to function. It would become decrepit. It would fall apart. But what God did on Pentecost is He poured out His power upon this apartment building that it might grow and increase and that it might extend to the whole world. And He took the power lines that were, that were to the church and He Hook them in to the power of Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God, where He's victorious over sin, where He has dominion over Satan, where He serves as high priest at the right hand of the Father, where He acts as head over the church. Took those high voltage wires and hooked them right into Jesus Christ that we might experience all the spiritual blessings 
of Him. He poured out His Spirit, His Spirit in abundance to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of reconciliation with God to the world. And so the question that we're going to deal with this morning is this. If this is what the Holy Spirit does, brings all this and transmits the power and work of Jesus Christ into the world through the church, then what does that make the church look like? Well, we get a picture of what the church looks like immediately after that first Pentecost. That, that initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit that had been prophesied by the, by the prophet Joel. There's, there's harmony, there's community. There's devotion to the teachings of the apostles about Jesus Christ. There's fellowship. There's prayer. There's breaking of bread together. Well, in our text this morning, the Holy Spirit shows us what life inside the church is like when He fills it with His power Uh, with the power and the blessing of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the power of and blessings of Jesus Christ that's poured out upon the church by the Holy Spirit. So let the Holy Spirit poured out on Pentecost fill you with what? With singing and music. That's, That's one aspect that the Holy Spirit gives to the church that the the church looks like when the Spirit fills it with the power and blessing of Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit fill you with singing and music, with thanksgiving. That's another blessing. And also with submission. Submission. Submission and service. So let the Holy Spirit poured out on Pentecost fill you with singing and music. One of these these fruits of the Holy Spirit, these fruits of the power and work of Jesus Christ, one of these life-giving fruits of the Holy Spirit is music and singing. It's a precious gift that we have from the Holy Spirit. It's the ability and the privilege and the love to make music for God in praise to God. Paul says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and Spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Martin Luther said that beautiful music is one of the most magnificent and delightful presents that God has given us. One of the most magnificent uh, magnificent and delightful. Singing and ma- making music is a rich, a, a spirit-filled and filling Beautiful exercise of, of worship to God and edification to each other. But I think we'll, we'll all have to admit, admit that it's a sad reality that often, instead of being what unites us together in joy and rejoicing, music and singing can often be what drives us apart. We have heated and emotional arguments about what are fitting songs for corporate worship. And just so you know, I think Paul's talking about corporate worship here. I think he's also talking about other times as you gather together as believers. So it's not limited to corporate worship. 
But we, we argue about both. We argue about what we should sing in, in the church service and, and what we can sing at home by ourselves or with our friends or wherever we happen to be. Now, some feel that we should have no instruments in worship. Others find that the organ must be about the only divinely appointed instrument. Others would say that if you can't plug it into an amplifier, you're out of touch and it doesn't count. Some are exclusively committed to singing psalms. Psalms, psalms, and more psalms is what they would argue it says here. While others continually promote contemporary praise and worship music as if that's the only way to fittingly sing songs to God, psalms, hymns, and contemporary praise and worship music, perhaps, is how they would translate that. Well, others think that if it isn't 200 years old, then it hasn't been around long enough for us to know if it's any good. These are just some of the fights that we have, the arguments that we have about music. If we would bring up music in any conversation, I would guess that more than 50% of the time, perhaps closer to 90% of the time, we'll start arguing about it. But the Holy Spirit has been poured out that we might not be arguing about these things primarily, but to bind us together in love and unity. And so let us be led by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God to rightly embrace music and singing as a gift from Jesus Christ. And so notice first what Paul says in our text. It's kind of striking, really. He says, Speak to one another with songs. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, of course, music is a speaking to God in thanks and praise. We all realize that. But did you know that when you sing, when we sing all together, you're speaking to each other? You're edifying one another. Isn't that amazing to think of in a sanctuary like this with 500 or 550 or 600 people gathered together? We're all singing and edifying each other with the words of praise and thanksgiving that we take on our lips. Perhaps one application of this is that instead of getting together to argue and fight about music, it would be much, much, much more profitable For us, as we gather together to break out the guitar, gather around the piano, join in with the organ, or whatever other musical instrument, and sing and make music to God. That is much, much, much more profitable. That is what Paul says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so you notice that Paul mentions these three different kinds, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. A lot of different interpretations have been given for what these three really are. As I said, some would argue that it really says something like Psalms, Psalms, and more Psalms. The first book of Psalms, and the second book of Psalms, and the third book of Psalms. Others would argue different things. A lot of weight has been put on these words in some of the arguments that go on about music. The question is, Is Paul really trying to describe three distinct types of music to sort of hem us in by them? Or what is he getting at here? Well, he mentions three types. The first one is the word psalm. And this 
obviously, really, has reference to the Psalms, the book of Psalms of the Old Testament. So we should sing together the Psalms, the the Psalms that the Old Testament church believers had been singing together. Paul says it's fitting to sing those songs to one another. But we should also realize that the word psalm itself can have this formal, it can refer to the book of Psalms, but the word psalm can also refer to just a song of praise. Song of praise to God. So Paul may be mentioning more than just the Psalms of the Old Testament there. The second word, hymn, is also a song of praise. In the wider culture, a, a, a hymn was a song of praise to a, to a deity. So you could have a hymn of praise to, to Zeus or to Jupiter or to whomever. But this is obviously not what Paul's talking about here. But he's using that same word, hymn, but he's giving it a distinctly Christian Trinitarian, Christ-focused perspective. It's a song of praise to the one God, the triune God. And the third one, spiritual songs, are quite simply songs that come as a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit. It comes through the, the working of the Holy Spirit in the author's, in the writer's heart. And this doesn't need to be a sort of extraordinary event as if the Spirit's coming in and and going out in a song all at the same time. No, but just as God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ, just like things like love and joy and peace are fruits of the Spirit, so the Spirit working in us uh, promotes musical expressions of praise and thanks in the minds and hearts and voices of believers. So spiritual songs are are written by Christians, sung by Christians. Songs that come as a fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so you can see that there's actually quite a bit of overlap here with these three types of songs. And there are some distinctions to be made, but Paul seems to be speaking about in three ways about one thing, that is, Speak to one another with songs of praise. And so the point is then, speak to one another with songs of praise, with with varying and different songs of praise. It is a, a beautiful experience, a wonderful experience, to be able to hear songs of praise out of a different culture. You know, you, you go to a different part of the world, you go to Africa and you, you attend a church there, and you hear the songs of praise by by those people, by their mouths, and from their minds, and from their hearts. And it's a beautiful thing. If we think that there is only one type, or one genre, or one song that's a fitting praise to God, I think the Apostle Paul here urges us to think again. He, he piles them on three different kinds to sort of talk about a, a triune fullness of praise to God. Praise to the triune God. And so, what music ought we to sing? What music ought we to make? Because a further application of this text is not simply the singing of music, but the making of music, the writing of music, the crafting of music. So what sort of music ought this to be, and what sort of songs? Well, they should be, first of all, songs that are fitting to the Spirit of God, and not to the spirit of the world. And Paul has that distinction right here in, in the verses before our text, and even in our text itself. 
it's coming all the way down from verse 15. He says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So don't make songs and music like this over here, but make songs and music fitting with this, that come out of wisdom, that are careful, that don't fit the spirit of the age, but fit the spirit of God. That's the kind of music and singing that we should be making in our hearts to God. Because the reality is that Satan and the powers of darkness, corrupt and sinful people, also know about music. They know about the power of music. And they often try to distort it and, and to draw us in, to draw in our emotions, to draw even our minds in to this foolish and evil ways with their music. Paul says, no, not like that, but like this over here where the Holy Spirit is, where the, where the work of Jesus Christ is, where the glory of God is. That's the kind of music and singing we should be making. We should also then, secondly, be singing and making songs that are edifying to each other. Paul says, remember, speak to one another. They should be understandable. They should communicate to other believers gospel truth. Third, they should be songs that reflect the Word of God. They reflect the Word of God. In fact, in a parallel passage to this, in Colossians 3, Paul says, not be filled with the Spirit, but he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish, and as you sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. So being filled with the Spirit is letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So our songs should reflect the Word of God. They should be songs that flow from the Holy Spirit's work. In fact, you could translate this, be filled with the Spirit, if you're wondering that, what that means. You could translate that as something like, be controlled by the Holy Spirit as you sing and make music. The point is, let the Holy Spirit's agenda guide you as you sing your songs of praise. Let them be Christ-focused. And there's so much in Christ to focus on in our songs. Let them be God-glorifying, just like the Holy Spirit. Does Let them be gospel communicating, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. Let them be other edifying, which as well the Holy Spirit does through us. Let them be scripture guided and, and produced as the Holy Spirit works with God's word. So those are the sort of songs that we should be making and singing together. And it's a beautiful thing. It's praise to God when we do. And how ought we to sing these songs? Well, Paul says, sing and make music in your hearts to God. Now, this perhaps sounds a little strange to our ears. Shouldn't we sing and make music with our mouths? With our hands and our feet? Isn't it a little strange to talk about singing and making music in our hearts? Wouldn't it be quite quiet in here if we were all singing and making music in our hearts to God? Well, Paul is not saying that we should sing silently as we sing our praise to God. No, but Paul is reaching back into that biblical notion of heart that uses that word to express the totality and, and wholeness of a person. That word that expresses that we're not just minds with legs walking around, 
We're not just emotional flags that flap in the wind, whatever wind pushes them. We are whole and complete, unified people. And Paul's saying that we then need to sing and make music with our whole, complete person, body, mind, and spirit, if you want to use those distinctions. So engage in this act of singing with your body, and a a professional singer will tell you, it takes your whole body to sing well. Sing with gusto. Sing with your whole body engaged in the act. Focus on the words. Let your mind be enacted. Some people think, well, I don't like to sing these songs. Well, focus on what this, what this song is communicating. Focus perhaps even on what this melody is communicating along with these words. Let your mind be engaged and then let your emotions follow that. Be emotional as you sing and make music in your hearts to God. Express the joy. Express the lament. Express the thanks. Express the cry to God as you sing and make music in your hearts to God. We could say a lot more about singing and making music, but in a sense, that's not really the point. The point is that We might be filled with the Spirit and sing and make music. The point is to sing and make music together and to sing praises to God. So that's what it looks like in the church. That's what it looks like when believers get together and the Spirit brings the power and work of Jesus Christ. We respond, we explode with singing and making music. We also respond with thanksgiving, as Paul goes on to say. As the Spirit is pouring into us the power and work of Jesus Christ, we are pouring back thanksgiving to God. It's the overflow of all the Spirit's work. The Spirit is like that power stream bringing in the life of the Father, the work of the Son to us. And as the Spirit brings the the power and the love and the care of God the Father, of the atonement and righteousness of Jesus Christ, as the Spirit works in our hearts, makes us more holy, sanctifies us, and we have every reason to be thankful. To be thankful, as Paul says, always, for everything. And so this Thanksgiving is constant, always and for everything. And this goes back to the very beginning verses of the book, when Paul says that when he, when he praises God for giving us every spiritual blessing in Christ, well, if we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, then we have every reason for thanksgiving at all times. In the good times, we know that these good times are a gift from God, and we can thank Him for all the earthly pleasures that He gives us, even though we realize that we don't deserve them. And in the bad times, we can thank God because we know that this trial is coming not as a punishment from God, but as discipline. It's coming in order to mold us and shape us. God is using this to bring us along, and as He brings us along, He is with us. He carries us along through His trials. Even as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And so we have every reason for thanksgiving at all times because of the triune God, because of the work of the Holy Spirit bringing it to us. And so it's also in the name 
and, or, sorry, it's to the Father and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Thanksgiving is Trinitarian. Our salvation is Trinitarian. It's by the will of God through the work of Christ applied to us by the Spirit. And so our Thanksgiving follows that same order. It's to God. It's in the name of Jesus Christ and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. As God works salvation in us, the triune God, we respond in thanks to the triune God in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, for the Father in heaven. And not only is thanksgiving then to be flowing out of us as church, but also finally, submission. And this isn't so easy to see in the NIV translation as they start a new paragraph there. But in a translation like the ESV, you can see that what's going on as Paul is saying, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's sort of attaching three different things onto the bottom. Sing and make music, give thanks to God, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this too is, is a result of being filled by the Spirit. A third expression of the Spirit's work in contrast to the world But in fact, it's to our benefit and to the glory of God. Submission. What exactly is Paul talking about here? In a sense, you could wonder, how would we ever get anything done if all we were ever doing was submitting to each other? What's the context? What's Paul getting at? What, What does this mean? How do we work with this? Well, Paul very clearly and specifically outlines what this means for the church in the verses that follow. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. But Paul is not saying that, okay, let's get rid of all structure, let's get rid of all order, and let, let's, let's just put everyone on the same level and, and then we can all work. No, he's affirming those structures that God has put in place even in creation. Husband and wife, parents and children. He's affirming the authority and and structures in, in family and, of course, in church life as well. He talks about elders having authority. But what he's also talking about here is what you could call a whole air of submission that is to be in the church that the Spirit gives. And that is that the church is not the place where we emphasize our own rights, my individual rights against the, the rights of another person. I've been sitting in this spot for so long, I deserve to have this spot, no one else can sit here. That's just a trivial example. It's not the place where we we throw our weight around, where we use our authority to bully others. The church isn't like that. The Spirit doesn't work that in us. No, we obey the Lord Jesus when He taught His disciples this. He said, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And we saw that last week when we talked about the office bearers. The office bearers who have authority who have authority from the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, come to the church to serve, to be servants of all. The kind of submission that the Spirit of Pentecost works in us is the kind of submission 
that's expressed by the Lord Jesus Christ as submission of service. Where service is our impulse, not the exercise of authority or the right to respect. This is the kind of submission that's so clearly expressed in the early chapters of Acts as the believers come together and they they come together under the apostles' teachings. But they have fellowship and communion and prayer. And they give and they care for each other. And this then is perhaps the most countercultural fruit of Pentecost that we've talked about this morning. Because Christ, who is so great, was the servant of all, and the Holy Spirit would have us be filled with that same attitude, power and work of Jesus Christ coming down to us, that same attitude of service and submission out of reverence for Him. If He who is so great did that, then so must we. And so can we. And so on this Pentecost Sunday morning, in this week, in this year, as you worship in the Spirit, the praise of God in the name of Jesus Christ, be controlled by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Wholeheartedly sing songs of praise. Be full of thanksgiving at all times for the power and work of Jesus Christ that has been given to you by the Spirit. And serve each other just as the Spirit serves the Father and the Son. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.